Mother's Day 2022 in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We're here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM and 1340 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Wisden in Las Vegas because for over two years now the pandemic is still keeping us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is uh, social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, the Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. Well earned. And back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studios, producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows for Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. And before we get rolling, I want to start the show by wishing all mothers and fathers playing both roles a very happy Mother's Day, and I want to wish my mother a happy Heavenly Mother's Day. It's been six and a half years since she left this world, and I still miss her every single day. Mom, always to you. Uh, this show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, What's on Tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada. On Tap, Nightcap, the Vegas Golden Knights players, coaches, the GM, and owner conducted a press conference that consisted of over four hours of exit interviews this past week. And we have the cliff notes. We've got NBA playoffs, three enormous upsets. The Las Vegas Aces 2022 season is underway and the Las Vegas Aviators are in first place in their division. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options. And um, first of all, again, uh, Spence, you made sure to wish your happy, your mother a happy Mother's Day before you left Pahrump this morning. As soon as I uh, woke up, I, I gave my mom a text, texted my grandmother as well. I'm, I got it covered. Yeah, well, I can't I can't text or call either one of them. It would take a special uh, bat phone line up to the up to somewhere else. Yeah, there's but, some uh, psychics around. Town, yeah, maybe. but, you know, I'm um, still I think of her every day, Spence. And this day is so incredibly special to me. I know uh, Chris feels the same way with his mother. Um, uh, Chris's family has endured some tremendous losses over the years. His brother, his, you know, his dad and uh, him and his mom are very close. And Chris, you, you make sure to wish, wish Linda happy Mother's Day this morning. Yeah, we're uh, actually well. No, she's not awake yet. She's uh, she's a late sleeper. But uh, we're we're, we're going to me and uh, my wife and my son. We're going to take her out to uh, to dinner. Uh, last year we went for tamales for dinner. It was the first time my wife had ever had them. And uh, to this tonight we're going to go to a uh, restaurant over in Chinatown, a uh, place I haven't been before. So uh, um, I've eaten there overseas, but a place I haven't eaten in Las Vegas. So it's a Malaysian slash Singapore restaurant. So. Uh, Something new for my mom. It was funny. I was just in Chinatown, Chris, on Friday night, and we and um, my friend uh, Justine that I went with her and her son, and we um, we checked out. We 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 were we ate at this unbelievable dessert place, and we passed like two Malaysian restaurants. And she said, "You ever had Malaysian food?" And I haven't. So I guess I've got to check it out too. You're always kind of filling me in. Yeah, it's good. On, uh, it, it's definitely yeah, good. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a spice to it. I gotta have some yeah spice yeah. You know what? If if that's the case, I would I would you know I was describing to a friend last night. I went to dinner last night with a friend and. We were, I was telling him about Singapore cuisine, and I said the the best part about Singapore food, food from Singapore, is the country itself is is very tiny. Like if, if I know you have a friend who lives there, so like you 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 can know. I mean the the country of Singapore is smaller than Los Angeles, and a lot less people than Los Angeles. So the the best part about it though is it's basically a meeting point for Chinese and Indian cuisine. So you take the best parts of Chinese cuisine and the best parts of Indian cuisine and you kind of mix them together. And 
like I like I told my friend Jason last night. I said I said, dude, I said I love the food in Hong Kong, but I I am I swear that the food in Singapore is the best in the world. Wow, you know, it, it, so it's like it's got that curry mix. Like, yes, yes, but you can get like uh, I, I gotta try it. Like That's you get a, like fried noodles. Like you know, you you get like the fried noodles or or fried rice sure. at, at a Chinese restaurant. Well, imagine if instead of soy sauce, they use Indian curry. Oh yeah, I I, I already can tell you, I'm gonna love it because I love Indian curry and I love Chinese food. So mix the two together, it sounds like heaven to me. I'm I'm, I'm getting hungry and I'm doing that intermittent fasting. I can't even eat for several hours. Well, Chris, you know we're gonna talk in a second. I wanna I wanna have Spencer hit nightcap because uh, we we definitely got a lot to talk about. I thought we were gonna move this segment towards the back of the show, but after I hear about a four hour press conference and kind of listen to some of the interviews and the exit interviews, uh, it, it can't be. It's got to still be in the forefront. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here the season uh, last week when we did the show we knew they were pretty much uh, it was it was pretty much of a done deal had David Shane on David Shane uh, listened to a podcast with that David was on um, earlier this morning and uh, you know he's kind of befuddled at the exit interviews very surprised at some of the things that were said I think probably a couple of the biggest takeaways and biggest surprises Chris of the exit interviews were the comments by Bill Foley and uh, David Shane quoted them in the paper today and I'll just read them to you if you haven't seen the review journal yet um, he he said, I'm going to be a bit more proactive than I have been. Um, I've always been invited to the meetings to take my, they take my input, but I try and stand aside when everyone is convinced something needs to be done. This time, after all these years, I've got a few specific ideas of things that I believe need to be accomplished. If I'm being transparent, I'm going to be active. Um, you know, I'm excited and happy that Bill Foley is so committed to winning. He has been since day one. He's willing to spend money. He is of the owners that I have uh, been around, or I should say of known about and paid a lot of attention to, of course, in Detroit mostly, but, you know, now being in Las Vegas, Bill Foley's one of my favorite owners. I really like the way he lets hockey personnel handle their business, but yet he is committed to doing what it takes to win. And when you see owners like that, I saw them in Detroit when Mike Illich bought the Detroit Tigers and then you know bought the Red Wings and then the Detroit Tigers. They both became different franchises. He put the pieces in place to let them do their thing. Mike Illich was involved, but he let the personnel do their job. And I think that bodes for the success because the key of a great owner is you've got to open up your wallet you've got to be willing to do that to win now there are salary caps that you have to deal with but the key is you let the hockey personnel or the nfl or the mlb or, or the nba you let them do their job as an owner and you sit back maybe unless you were you you've elevated yourself from a player or a position of management to ownership that's a different story but typically owners are, are very wealthy businessmen they love sports they they enjoy this um you know for many of them it is their livelihood but um they understand their roles and then you have very proactive owners in each sport we've seen it over time you know we saw it with the new york yankees we for years with george steinbrenner you know al davis of the oakland raiders right now you know although as he as he is getting older but you look over at the dallas cowboys and jerry jones now these owners haven't have you know have enjoyed some serious success in their careers now you've got bill foley uh, you know, a guy that most people before he bought the Vegas Golden Knights never heard of him. Um, a very wealthy businessman, extremely successful. Chris, but is this a good idea for the owner now to say, you know what, this team had uncanny, um, an anomalistic, if that's a word, they were an anomaly. I mean, th there's never been anything like this in professional sports. So, Bill Foley, along with the rest of the Las Vegas community, even the Western United States, got spoiled if they weren't hockey fans before the Vegas Golden Knights arrived and said, wow, this is what's expected. And I remember from year one, after the run to the Stanley Cup finals, saying, man, one day the rock's going to fall. And it's not that it really fell this year. If you add up the injury minutes that these this team endured, as David Shane said last week, this team would have been, if they made the playoffs, no team 
would have endured more penalties in the history of the National Hockey League and made the playoffs. So you have to take that into consideration. You have to take into consideration that Robin Leonard was probably hiding an injury for more severe for half the season, or he tanked it. We don't know yet for sure. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a question that was brought up on the podcast with David Shane to hear him say that was kind of a little bit startling to me because last week, he, you know, he was somewhat in defense of it. And this week he's like, you know, you don't know what the real truth is. Um, you know, last week it seemed like the last couple weeks, Pete DeBoer's job was secure. I'm not so sure about that right now with Bill Foley stepping in, there's aggravation and, and, and the schemes, Chris, and, and the things that have changed with the Vegas golden Knights since he has taken over. And then of course you're seeing the success of Gerard Gallant in New York and Gerard Gallant brings one of his favorite players there, Ryan Reeves, who, who is a tremendous asset to that Rangers team, just because of the physicality and the presence he brings, you know, many people assume that the fourth line was going to be Nicholas Waugh alongside of Keegan Colasar and William Carrier this year. That's a pretty formidable fourth line. You've got the difference with Carrier and, and and Colasar, which I've said all along, they're not as tough as Reeves, but they they definitely exude toughness. They definitely bring physicality, but they have better scoring ability than Ryan Reeves did. So it made sense to me. But yet Ryan Reeves, arguably still the toughest man in the NHL. There's nobody that really enjoys knowing that they're going to be going up against him. There's definitely guys that aren't afraid of him, but nobody wants to battle the guy. And his presence in a way was alluded to in a lot of these, these interviews, Chris, in the four hour exit interviews, there were people made 100%. This team needs to play faster and be more physical. Isn't that kind of saying we're missing Ryan Reeves, not faster, obviously, but definitely when they're talking about physicality. Well, there's a lot to digest in what you said. And I'll, I'll start by saying, I don't know if Bill Foley being more active is a good or bad thing. I mean, that remains to be seen because there, there, there's a couple different directions this could go. For all his faults, as as an owner, George Steinbrenner was a very successful owner, and George Steinbrenner, also away from baseball, was a very good human being. So, um, you know, there's there's that way that this could go, or it could go the way of, and I don't think Bill Foley is an it has the ego that say Jerry Jones has. But, How about Daniel Snyder? Another well, good example. Daniel Snyder is a scumbag. So, um, <laughs> you know, I certainly don't think Bill Foley will fall into that route either, right? Like, Dan, Daniel Snyder has the combination of being an absolutely terrible owner and a terrible human being. I don't know if Jerry Jones is a terrible human being. There's certainly things that would say, eh, maybe. But as far as an owner, Jerry Jones was a great owner when he let Jimmy Johnson run the show. And then he, he, his ego got the best of him. He didn't like Jimmy Johnson getting all the credit, right? So he runs Jimmy Johnson out of town, brings in Barry Switzer, who won a couple Super Bowls, but he, he kind of won one Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl he won, he took over for Jerry Jones. Yeah, so, so there, it was, uh, for Jimmy it was, Johnson. So, yeah, so he let, he let basically J- Jerry run the show. But since the Cowboys won that last Super Bowl, they haven't exactly been a model franchise. They've been a marquee franchise, but they suck. They haven't won anything. So I don't know if I want my owner being more involved. I will say this. From what he said, and, and we had David Shane on the VGK Insiders the other day uh, to talk about his article. And, um, you know, we, one of the quotes in the article was about the Dodonov trade. And Bill Foley flat out said he was against that trade. And when I asked David Shane why, he said because in Foley's mind, they brought Dodonov in to score 20 goals. They paid him to score 20 goals. And he went out and he scored 20 goals. So he did his job. Um, I There was something else in there about identity and personality. And I took that not so much as a playing style. I took that more as a this team has no personalities, as in, look, this is Vegas. We're a little bit different in this city. You move here, you you have to be a little bit different, right? Like, you don't move here because you're a dull, uninteresting person. This is a city with bright lights, larger-than-life strip performers, and I, I, I took that as we took away the personalities on our roster, Guys like Mark Andre Fleury, guys like Nate Schmidt, guys like Ryan Reeves, guys who liked being the marquee. They liked seeing their name in the lights with the you know 
on the billboard at the MGM Grand. Those are the types of guys that this team no longer has. That's not to say that Max Pacioretty or Alex Petrangelo or Shea Theodore don't have personality, but they're not that type of personality where they don't mind being the star attraction, even if they're not the best player on the team. I mean, I love Nate Schmidt. Everybody loved Nate Schmidt. And Nate Schmidt is still Nate Schmidt regardless of where he's playing. But I think when you take away guys like that, guys like Nate Schmidt, and I understand there's the business side of it, but when you don't have the personalities that kind of mix with the city that we live in, I, I, I understand a lot of the frustration. Look, Jonathan Marsh is so great player. He's a guy who has personality. But Jonathan Marcheseau isn't the personality that that Ryan Reeves was. And it's funny because their lockers were, were right next to each other. So um, kind of fun when you get to talk to both of them in the same day because you know you're going to get some good stuff. But, like, Ryan Reeves was a different type of personality. Ryan Reeves wasn't the best player on the team. But Ryan Reeves was a guy who, when times got bad, he didn't mind – being the guy to take the pressure off of the team when things got bad, whether it was going out there and just fighting somebody or it was saying something outrageous like a lion in the jungle, right? Like Ryan Reeves was that guy to kind of take the, the, the quote that we always got with Ryan Reeves was he's there to keep the flies off the honey. And that didn't just mean protecting the best players on the golden Knights. That also meant being the guy who kind of was, was, I mean, sometimes he he got a bum rap, right? And I think he didn't mind being that guy. He understood his role. And again, it's not a knock on anybody on the team because they're all nice guys and they all have their own personalities. But I think when I read this team lost its identity and personalities, I don't necessarily think it's the product. It's the, it's the style that the team plays. What I think it means is it's the product on the ice. It's the personalities in the locker room, it's the guys who are on that marquee. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how this team gets that back because I don't no, think you can. No, Chris, I, I agree with you. And, you know, with Ryan Reeves, you know, it's amazing because, like you said, the skill set is not fantastic. Ryan Reeves, every now and again, he'll, he'll find his way in front of the net and he'll get you a goal. He did that in the in the Stanley Cup Finals against the, the Capitals. He had a couple of goals. I mean, Ryan Reeves will do that. But the key is what you notice about him is he finds the ice wherever he goes. He plays. He doesn't get scratched. And there is a reason for that, Chris. And a lot of it is the intangibles you just talked about that he brings. He is a leader. He is a player that, you know, it's funny because when you're playing against him, you hate him. But when he's on your team, you love him. And you could see that he was embraced so quickly by this team. It's funny. The fans didn't embrace him at first, but the team sure in hell did. And I think he was a devastating loss and maybe even a greater loss than Mark Andre Fleury. And people would just be like, are you out of your mind? No, I'm not. There is a presence when you know there is a guy like Ryan Reeves sitting on the bench and someone throws a cheap shot at Will Carrier earlier in the game. Man, Every time he's on the ice, he's praying he doesn't get a shift with Ryan Reeves because Ryan Reeves took a mental note of that, and he is going to make good for William Carlson. That's what he does, and he is an expert at it, and that's why Gerard Gallant has him in New York and why the Rangers are in the playoffs and had a really good season. I'm going to leave that alone because, again, it's water under the bridge. But, Chris, you know, the key is this team being healthy. When you look at them, the collection of players they have are as good as anybody in the National Hockey League. And and I will argue that with anyone. I am not sure I love the system. And David Shane talked about that in this podcast also, that 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 Pete DeBoer has implemented. It's this 1-1-3 system where you kind of have a, you have a four-checker up front, you kind of have a four-checker in the middle, and then you kind of have three guys with the with one foot on the blue line and that's the way your neutral zone play is now it works great with teams that carry the puck in the zone you really kind of box them out and you can take them but teams that play dump and chase this doesn't this type of system does not work for and a lot of teams play dump and chase because they're put in that position a lot and i think that hurts the golden knights and the players seem to allude to this it takes away from an aggressive attacking style of hockey and the the the, the concept behind this was you stop him at the blue line and it leads to more offensive rushes. Well, occasionally 
usually that works. And you heard uh, in the in the exit press conferences, I think Zach Whitecloud talked about that, that this type of system did generate a lot of offense. However, it failed them defensively several times when they played dump and chase. And the offensive players, the wingers, were able to get in behind the defense and be disruptive in front of the net. Now, again, I'm no coach. I didn't love the system. And I think they need to get back to an attacking mentality. I think that's what made this team great. And I don't know that that's in Pete DeBoer's repertoire. I don't know if that's part of his toolkit. That's not the style of hockey that he's typically played. And that is the style of hockey that the Golden Knights have banked on from day one. I'm wearing the shirt, the Misfits. That was the type of hockey. They they played with a chip on their shoulder and they attacked all the time. And that's how they had so much success in that first season. Gerard Gallant that had them attacking. And, uh, you know, um, the bottom line is, is, you know, you have to see what's going to, what's going to happen and what's going to transpire, Chris. And I'm interested to see this. You need a healthy Mark Stone. I don't know how bad that back injury is, but he has just not looked like the same player. We know he was hurt most of this year. He seems to say it's going to be okay. But I mean, you were talking about when healthy, this guy is good enough to be in the conversation for the Selkie every year. And if you don't know what that is, that's the best defensive offensive player. Mark Stone is that way. If you watch him on the power play, Chris, there's a lot of times they have one defenseman out there because Mark Stone's playing the other point. He is that solid defensively. I've always said he could be a defenseman if he ever wanted to. The problem is he's way too good of a score. He's too good up front. But a healthy Mark Stone is huge. Jack Eichel is huge. Max ready, And then you've got all the guys that they've got to make decisions on this year, Chris. You're you got Riley Smith hurt at the end of the season. He did come back right at the end, but he was hurt for the majority of the last part of the season. You know, he's an unrestricted free agent. And then you've got a guy like Nicholas Haig, who is a who is a um, restricted free agent. And how about Brett Howden? They say he's going to be okay. That was a wicked hit to the head that he took. We didn't see him again after it. I didn't think that we would, but he also was an unrestricted free agent. There's a lot of situations, Chris, this team is going to have to consider and take into account when looking at what is going to happen with this team going forward. And it is going to be a very curious season. Nobody would make, would really make a statement on Leonard's future with this team and, and what's going to happen with him. I don't think Robin Leonard wants to play here. I mean, why would you? He was criticized and chastised all season long because he was the heir apparent to Mark, Mark Andre Fleury. And for no other reason, whether he was hurt or not, he was either going to be very successful or he was going to get booed out of town. That's usually what happens to a guy that's, that succeeds a superstar. But I am really interested interested and I'll, I'll take your thoughts we'll move on to the next subject but i do want to hear your thoughts on what do you think is going to happen going forward well the, again there's a lot to digest there and, and you know we talked about the injuries and let's look at this from the standpoint of this team had injuries going back to the preseason right like alex tuck who was eventually traded for jack eichel he didn't start the season he was he was banged up he had sh- uh, sh- surgery in the offseason and he wasn't going to be ready for the first couple months of the season. Then you lose Matthias Yanmark due to COVID, and it took him a while to get back up to pace because he carried it for a while. He had that long COVID. And, but, but the injuries aside, I mean, this, this team from the start had, had the injury bug. And the Mark Stone thing is very concerning to me because Spencer won't remember. He's way too young. But you and I would remember Larry Bird. And Larry Bird had a back problem. Larry Bird, his career was cut short due to a back problem. I can remember Larry Bird laying on the floor when he wasn't in the game because his back was so bad. I mean, you remember that too. So I, I, I don't know how bad the back injury with Mark Stone is. What I do know is they're not sure at that particular moment that we spoke to them what their course of action was going to be, whether or not it was going to require surgery. Remember, Mark Stone was playing with something last year in the Western Conference Final or whatever it was called when they were playing Montreal. He wasn't 100% then. And then you come into this season, it was a short off season, and game two, Mark Stone is is injured. So there's a lot of concern there. And I understand that, you know, he says he's going to be okay, and, and but... The reality is, it's a back injury. We just don't know. So I'm going to proceed with caution until we know a little bit more um, in that regard. But, yeah, the decisions that this team has to make, I don't know how they go about doing it. You get an extra million in the salary cap, so so that's a start. But 
they have a very tough decision to make at goaltender because they do have three guys. I think if you want to be simple, the, the, the simplest thing is you, you somehow get back on the same page with Robin Leonard because I think he needs to be the guy. And I think you find a way to move Lauren Brossois because that's another $2.5 million that you'd be able to free up in the salary cap. Unfortunately, I don't think Matthias Yanmark is is going to be able to be re-signed. I like Yanmark. I think he's a good player, and he's he he's a bit of a pain in the ass to play against, and I like that. I think this team needs a guy like that, but I just don't see how they fit him. I think they find a way to bring Riley Smith back. I think Riley Smith will be back. I I I just something tells me they will find a way. But then, like you said, you've got all the RFAs. You've got Keegan Colasar, Nick Hague, Nick Wah. Brett Howden, I don't know how they find a way to bring all those guys back. I mean, clearly they're going to need players because I think I think it's only 18 players under contract, right? So I don't I don't know how you do that. But I think the most important thing is you've got to get back on the same page with Robin Leonard, and I don't know how you do that. I don't I don't know all the intricacies. And credit to David Shane, he tried to press Kelly McCrimmon on all the details of what happened with Robin Leonard. And Kelly McCrimmon wasn't very forthcoming with with what David was asking. I mean, Kelly gave his side of the things, and David was asking something completely different. And I don't think we really got what what David wanted to know. So, but I think you got to get on the same page with with Leonard because I think he's got to be your guy. Because I'll be honest, I like Logan Thompson. I don't know if he's if he right right now at this stage in his career. I don't know if he can be a number one goalie every night in the NHL. Sure, he played great down the stretch, but I mean it's it's a different it's a different ask of a guy to step in and be the number one goaltender. So the good news is they have him locked up for a couple of years. I think he's definitely gotta be in discussion to be your number two goalie. But I mean, you can't go into the season with Loren Brossois your number one. So there's that that that's a really tough decision that that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee are going to have to come to grips with. What do we do at the goaltender position? It's clearly a very, very important position. Uh, maybe the most important position on the ice, because if you've got a terrible goalie, you're 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 not going to win very many games, regardless of how good you are in, up up front. Um, so yeah, I, I there's a lot there's a lot of questions. Like I said, I, I think they come to terms at some some way with Riley Smith, but. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to bite a couple bullets because I know this team hates losing players for nothing. I, I I just don't know how you fit everybody under the salary cap without making drastic moves. They're gonna have to subtract somewhere. Somewhere they're gonna have to subtract. Who? Where? I I I don't know. Like I said, I think Loren Bossois would be the obvious answer, and you go in the season with Robin Leonard as your number one and Logan Thompson as your number two. But then what does that do? Every time Robin Leonard has a bad period, is he looking over his shoulder? Yeah, you know, I like I. It's funny because I had the conversation with with Ryan about the St. Louis Blues and how good Billy Husso had been during the regular season. Well, playoffs are a different animal, and it's not that he's played terrible, but I mean the reality is the St. Louis Blues have gotten blown out the last two nights. Is Billy Husso now looking over his shoulder, knowing that Jordan Bennington, a guy who won a Stanley Cup just a couple of years ago, is sitting on the bench? So I don't know. The goaltending position is such a such a strange and, and interesting position because there's so much mental preparation that goes into that position. Like, I, I, I always feel like if you disrupt just a few things, it completely changes the dynamic of, of that of, of the way the goalie plays. So I don't know en- enough about that the psyche, but I I, I think that y- you really have to have a a very heart to heart talk with Robin Leonard and get back on the same page with him because I really honestly believe he has to be your number one goalie because you cannot and you will not find a better goalie in the free agent market. Now, Chris, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I will disagree that I I just don't see how Leonard's going to be able to be here. I think that, yes, there's ways to reconcile differences, but Pete DeBoer and Robin Leonard clearly have issues with each other. You can tell by the way DeBoer talks. He, he I don't know, I, I just, almost like he's not even buying the severity of, of Robin Leonard's injury, his shoulder problem. It's like he doesn't believe him. 
I mean, that's what it sounds like when you're listening to the guy talk. So I, I don't know. how. You know, I, I, I've heard is. some things, unfortunately, that I, I cannot share. But, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot, a lot to, to, to break down between those two. Um, you know, I mean, I think more will come out as, this, as the offseason progresses. I, I will say this. I do not think it's going to be an un- – they may not be very active in the offseason – but I don't think it's going to be a very uninteresting offseason for this team. No, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Another guy, Nolan Patrick, he only played twenty five games with him. He's an unrestricted free agent. There's a lot of things and pieces that are gonna have to fix. But you're, the number one is obviously the last line of defense. You've got to have a solid netminder. And I agree with you on Logan Thompson. I really like the kid, man. I love the story behind it, how we made it to the NHL. I love what he has done in the postseason. How by himself he he did all he could. To keep them in the in, in the race it wasn't his fault I mean he gave up some cheap goals but every goaltender in history has done that at times this kid did as much as anyone could have possibly expected him to do this year and Robin Leonard you can't say he was a letdown simply because we really don't know the severity of the injury we know the guy's got depression problems and for God's sakes I mean it, it must have been hard to take every day to be getting chastised if he didn't win you were a bum if you were Robin Leonard and that's what he went through and that's why I don't know that there's a fit here. I do agree. Lauren Brossois is gone. Um, I, I don't know what the surgery is, what is what the full deals of issues. They're not really talking a great deal about it, but I think he's gone. They want that money. And I, I think you got to go with, you got to find somebody to be a number one net minder that can work and coincide with Logan Thompson, in my opinion, because of how hard I think it would be to fix this right now. I think Pete DeBoer is going to be on a very short leash next year. And I think Kelly McCrimmon will be gone at the end of next season. If they don't make the playoffs again and have any, we're close to this season. I I think it's that severe, and I think Bill Foley is that upset as to where they are at this year. I don't. Bill Foley doesn't care that they would be the only team to make the playoffs with that many injuries. I don't think he gives a crap about that. I think the bottom line is this guy wants to continue to win. He has loved the success of the first four seasons, and he wants that to continue. And I think nobody in this town is more disappointed about that team not making the postseason than Bill Foley himself, and that's why I think he's speaking out. And I agree with you also on that I do not know if it is a good idea for Bill Foley. I never I, I never think it's a good idea for an owner to overstep his bounds. And again, unless an owner has moved up through management or is a former player with a lot of experience in management, um, I just I just don't think a, a, an owner should jump in. But, you know, again, they own the team. They make the final decisions. They cut the paycheck. So Bill Foley wants to get involved. He's going to get involved, and everyone else is going to deal with it. Real quickly, regarding to the NHL playoffs, um, I, I've really enjoyed that some hockey this year. Carolina's looked good. The Bruins ended up getting a game and making that series a 2-1 series. Colorado, man, I mean, t- scratching your head, they ended the season playing as badly as anybody. Some injury problems. Landis Cog was hurt. And now, I don't know if you saw it yesterday. God, it almost looked like on purpose. Darcy Kemper took a stick under the mask in his face on his forehead eye area, left the game and didn't come back. And, of course, uh, you know, huge acquisition and change in, in, in net this year for the Colorado Avalanche getting Darcy Kemper from Arizona, probably the only player that's NHL worthy in Arizona. I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, Darcy Kemper, a world-class goalie, and he's going to be missed in Colorado, man. But you talk about a team that plugs and plays. They, they they look like crap through the end of the season. They get to the playoffs, and they've won the first three games. I mean, and they, they, making, making mincemeat of the Predators. Colorado is still a very formidable team, but the rest of the series are really, really enjoying a great deal. Uh, Toronto maybe get over the snide and finally win a series and take out the the reigning Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. That's a cool one to watch. Love watching Marc-Andre Fleury in Minnesota. They're up 2-1 on the Blues. Not a surprise that they're up 2-1 on the Blues. Maybe the way it's happened, but it's good to see Marc-Andre Fleury in net for them. I think all of us in Vegas are probably pulling for the Minnesota Wild a little bit because of that. Penguins-Rangers series, real good series. Man, I, 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 I you know, really tough loss for the Rangers yesterday, but, uh, but this is a good series, and the Rangers can easily come back and win this series as well. I like what I'm seeing all the way around, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks as as it progresses. Real quickly, I want to turn over to the NBA playoffs, guys. And Spencer, I'll bring you in on this one. I know uh, you you with the NBA playoffs, uh, you are Mr. NBA, and you're 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 involved. And I got to tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind when I talk about the NBA playoffs, obviously Joe, um, um, excuse me, John Morant yesterday going down with the knee injury, the the 
grab of his knee by Poole. I, I can't believe anyone's making an issue of it. The guy was going for the ball. Yeah, he's going to grab his knee and try to dislocate his knee. I, I thought that was just ludicrous, David. But that is a huge concern, obviously, for the Memphis Grizzlies, even though they have had tremendous success. with. I think they've, they were like 20-5 and five or something without him. It doesn't matter. You need John Morant in that lineup, especially now in the postseason. And then Joel Embiid, I think we saw – yesterday or the day before how friday how valuable joel Embiid is to the 76ers i mean joe M L Embiid this year I, if i if i had a vote he would be my vote for the league mvp this year he would be that's what i think joel Embiid has meant to the 76ers and meant to the team i mean carried them with their controversy this year players moving around bringing in a personality like james hard and joel Embiid just keeps succeeding now you look at 18 points yesterday or friday and you say that's not great but considering 11 rebounds went with it and you just saw his presence he is so disruptive at both ends of the floor spencer he's one of those guys that can literally Literally carry a team to victory and you know to come back from two one when you're down three one like 95 percent of the, the series goes that way this is a huge game today for philadelphia where they can knot up this series with the heat spencer if they knot this series up i think they can beat them yeah so you mentioned a few things that are definitely worth talking about so with joel Embiid, it really is quite incredible that he's out there a uh, concussion that he just had to deal with i think he still has like a broken finger like that's just a thing on his shooting hand you know, no less. And, uh, you know, they took, it's so funny to me, like <laughs> the rules are such suggestions when it comes to rich people and organizations, because the 76ers got a $50,000 fine for disclosing that Joel Embiid will be playing so late in the process. Well, they won a playoff game. So like, you think they don't mind paying 50 K. So it's like, why is the rule even there? That's so stupid to me. Who knows where that money goes anyways. But yeah, I mean, this guy's willing himself and he's willing the 76ers into this position and they needed it really badly because in the first two games when he wasn't playing, you would assume that James Harden would step up and at, at least attempt to be the guy like he has been through so many parts of his career. He wouldn't shoot over 15 times and I don't think he shoots over 15 times. I think he's done it maybe once or twice for the 76ers, the 76ers since he's been there. And it's not that he's playing bad, but he's such a weird player when you look at history i mean he has these mvp seasons he's the highest scorer in the league and then now he kind of looks like a dud it, it, it's a very interesting dynamic and they're they're still going to need him if they do want to win a finals you know maybe you can get through it in the first round like they did and i don't know if you can get away with it here in the second round but they need this guy and joel and Bede surely needs him with his injury but joel and Bede's presence like that's how big of a presence this guy has when he comes in last second, they literally do not know how to deal with the game plan and they blew him out by 20 points. So this guy deserves the MVP this year. And I think probably this series more than anything, or that game more than anything proves that I know all the votes were already in and playoffs don't matter, but I think, you know, hindsight is 2020 and it looks like, you know, he probably will win it at this point, but going back to the golden state, you know, uh, warriors and the grizzly series that you're talking about, I don't necessarily necessarily think the play was dirty but he wasn't going for the ball he looked at his knee when he grabbed it if you're going if you watch that play yeah you know Spencer but the point is he, he didn't think he was going to dislocate his knee or or, or possibly do well, I don't think he was play. trying to injury injure him he's trying to slow him down he's he's following him basically yeah but okay so let's let's look at the series in its entirety right Dylan Brooks gets suspended for the game but okay so after game two coach Kerr says oh they broke the code if you look back in game one, if I remember correctly, Jermon Green was ejected for a dirty play. So how come the rules apply for every other team when it comes to the Golden State Warriors? But, you know, it doesn't make any sense. There's, Draymond Green is the original, like, code breaker when it comes to breaking the rules. He pulled, <laughs> And not only – I'll say this, too. That play Dylan Brooks had is less dirty than the ejection that Draymond Green had in the first game because just because he broke his elbow and he fell weird, like, of course it's unfortunate. And Gary Payton certainly made his way up through the G League. I used to watch him in the G League a little bit. I thought it was cool that his son was playing. I watched the G League, yes. But uh, that play certainly was bad. But when you look at Draymond Green's, he was pulling him down from midair. So if Brandon Clark had broke his – his whatever that would have been made the play like certainly this level of bad like i think you can't judge the results i think you have to look at the play in its entirety so the golden state warriors are absolutely just as dirty if not more dirty than the grizzlies uh that series is pretty interesting a blowout yesterday but i think there were a lot of emotions going into that game it's the first home game golden state's a veteran team grizzlies will have to win game four if they want a chance in the series because i do think they can win it especially with home court advantage uh, but the playoffs have been super great this year i've been watching all the games and one last thing i want to say about the NBA playoffs, and that's about Giannis Antetokounmpo. This guy, 
I'll say it right now. This is my hot take of the day. Has the chance to be the greatest player to ever touch the basketball court. If you look at his resume so far at age 27, a defensive player of the year, five-time All-NBA, four-time All-Defensive, two MVPs, a finals MVP. Before he turns 28, yeah, this guy is building his resume. And right now, the big thing last year is that they say Chris Middleton bailed him out. They haven't had... Chris Middleton at all in this series against the Celtics, who just stifled Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. He drops 43 in game three without Chris Middleton. This guy is unbelievable, and I'm recognizing greatness now before everybody else does. He could be the greatest player to ever touch a basketball court. Wow. Now, that's a big statement, but I will say Giannis is absolutely a freak of nature. He's, been, for the most part, seven feet tall, and he plays like a guard. I mean, when he he brings the ball up the floor, he can cut through the – he cuts through the lane like a hot knife through butter, and you, at, seven, at seven feet tall, that's almost impossible, although we're seeing other guys in the league now that have that height that are able to play like that Joel Embiid, one of them. But you're right. Giannis is a freak of nature. And, and Spencer, I don't know that I've ever seen another player besides Michael Jordan, then Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, be able to make other players around him that much better. I'm not going to say that Scottie Pippen wasn't an, wasn't a, an elite great basketball player, but there is no question about it. He is not the player he was without playing with Michael Jordan because so much attention has to be given to a guy like Giannis or a guy like Michael Jordan that other players benefit from that tremendously and they become better around him and they probably get bigger contracts and get bigger offers because of playing with a guy like that. Yes, Giannis is a freak of nature. Another freak of nature before we leave the NBA talks is another must-win game, I think, today for the Dallas Mavericks and the and the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix wins, wins the first two games handily, and I always said Luka Doncic, to me, it's Larry Bird all over again. Uh, thank God for Luka. He's not as ugly as Larry Bird, but uh, that's a physical stature. As far as playing the game, God, it reminds me of him. The way he brings the ball up the floor, the way he plays defensively, that even his shot looks like Larry Bird's shot. But Luka Doncic is a freak of nature, Spencer, especially playing at the level he is that he has been playing at at his age. You want to talk about a young superstar and a guy that just can do everything. Doesn't you 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 can have two guys in his face and he will hit a three pointer from five feet beyond the arc at an angle. I mean, he is just a freak of nature. And I'll tell you what, Chris Paul in the last game, twelve point seven turnovers in 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 the game three loss. In you know in the first two games he averaged twenty three point five points a game, five and a half assists a game, and he had a total of four turnovers in the first two games. Chris Paul did this last year in the finals against Milwaukee. He tends to disappear on the road in big games. Hey, I'm not going to say Chris Paul is not a superstar. I'm not going to say he's not one of the top eight players in the NBA because he is when he plays at his best, no doubt about that. But when he doesn't play at his best, he hurts his team. And you realize when you see Devin Booker get ejected from a game, you realize that the man on that team, and remember I'm saying this, is not Chris Paul. It's Devin Booker. If Booker's not on the floor, they have no chance to win the NBA Finals. With Booker on the floor and Paul playing his best basketball and, of course, getting Aiton on the inside playing well, this team can compete with anybody in the league, and we saw it all season long, Spencer. But when Chris Paul tanks and does not have a good game, this team becomes just above average. Well, it is one bad game, and I think every player in the league is is – allocated at least one but it's crazy to think that i've been listening to nba radio a lot like pretty much every day and some people are think saying that chris paul may have an injury that's how injury prone this guy has been throughout his entire career exactly. and he was hurt during the nba finals too which i don't know if that means you need to give him credit or like proper criticism because he's always hurt but just because he has one get bad game people are already assuming that he has some undisclosed injury which is crazy um, that, that's a pretty interesting series. I've actually won a good amount of money. I called all three games like perfectly correct, you know, so far. And I don't know what's going to happen in game four, but I know Dallas is really good at home. And one thing is interesting. I think they're going to try to pay more attention to the regular season because if they could get home court advantage, I take them. And no I series. agree. They, they play so much differently when they're in Dallas, Spencer. It's such a different team. Even Luca elevates his game a little bit more on his home court. You can see it. Although his game is elevated all the time. And when he elevates his game, he may be the best player ever to play in the league. And I know that's, that's far fetched, but Luka Doncic is as exciting as every 
player I have ever seen play the basketball game. I love what, like right now, I have been more compelled this year, both NHL and NBA playoffs, and yet none of my teams are in, and yet I am captivated. I mean, it is a lot of fun to watch these guys play. Guys like Joel Embiid, to see him with the mask on and performing the way Luka Doncic, every time he touches the basketball. How about Djokovic in, in, in freaking Denver? I mean, you want to talk about a guy that, that, that deserves to be league MVP. That guy is a beast. He's like an offensive tackle, and yet he has the agility of a guy that's six foot one. I mean, he's incredible. There are a lot of players like that in the NBA today. We're not even talking about a guy that's not in the playoffs in LeBron James. So, and I'm really enjoying that. Maybe that's why I'm liking the playoffs that's so the much this part. year because LeBron's not in it. But um, it is going to be really exciting. Two huge games today. I am locked in online poker and NBA and NHL all day for me, brother. That's what's going on with me. Um, let's move on, Spencer. Let's go ahead and hit the uh, fact this. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. According to several experts and sports media outlets, there has never been a day like yesterday where three larger upsets occurred in a single day. Two of them were right on the front page of the Review Journal. And Spencer, you know, I had my show log out well before I looked at the Review Journal today. So this is a big, big story. But this happened at Churchill Down, Kentucky, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, and at Park Manzanares in Madrid, Spain. Let's start with it first. Rich Strike. I mean, are you kidding me? An 80-to-1 long shot won the Kentucky Derby yesterday. And um, if I am not mistaken, uh, the last the, – the last, he is the second longest shot to ever win the Kentucky Derby, and it has been over 100 years since there was a longer shot. In 1913, a horse called uh, Dunrail won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, for a $2 bet yesterday, you won $163.60. Uh, Dunrail in 1913, you won $184.94, the biggest payouts ever for a single bet. This is absolutely astonishing when you think about this. Epicenter, pretty not a heavy favorite to win. He finished second, but really uh, – it, it, it was crazy. This horse came on the inside. No one saw him coming. He caught them down the stretch. And what is crazy about this fence, he was the last horse to enter the field. He replaced Etherall on Friday, this, and he won by the smallest margin of victory by the Kentucky Derby winner since 2005, okay, by three-quarters of a length. They didn't even know the horse was going to race to like, like literally right before the race. And I think, do you have the, the, the sound of that? I want you to first, let's play the sound of the, the down the stretch themselves. And then you'll hear from the trainer, um, Eric Reed and the owner, Rick, uh, Rick Dawson. And then Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter's ended. Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike has done it in a stunning, unbelievable upset. Finishes his races better than any horse I've seen in a long time. And he loves this track. And he had the extra long stretch today. And um, that mile and a quarter, it was made for him. Amazing, amazing. You know, I, I, I've never ever felt that life puts a cap on what you can do, and nothing you can do will change it. I, I've never believed that. I always thought, hey, I'm as smart as the next guy. Maybe I can figure it out. Maybe I can't. But I always kept trying, and uh, here we are. Hey, that was uh, that last one was Rick Dawson, the owner. Who, uh, by the way, just so you know. Um, uh, he was claimed by Rick Strike. Uh, I, I should say, excuse me, by Rick Dawson for just thirty thousand dollars prior to his first career race, and the owners earned one million eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars for the win. And again, the owner Rick Dawson said, "We found out thirty seconds before the deadline Friday, and felt if we just got in, we would have a real shot. Never rule out the underhorse, folks." I like the underhorse, man. I thought that's pretty cool. Not the underdog, the underhorse. But um, 
All I can say about that is, wow, I had Epicenter, I had him paired with a couple horses, and I took one of the long shots, Simplification, who they mentioned, who finished fourth. I put 25 on him to win and 25 on him to show he came in fourth. But just check out the numbers on, if, if, you, if you, you just so happen to, to be lucky yesterday, an exacta, a 21 uh, t- taking the 21 horse, which was R- Rich Strike, and the number three or the epicenter. A $2 bet, Spencer, won you $4,101.20. If you happen to get the trifecta, well, um, you're, you're, you're pretty happy on that one. 23, uh, you, you pick uh, that with uh, the 10 horse, $14,870.70. That's on a one effect event and if you somehow picked the top four horses and added my horse simplification in there the top four horses on a one dollar bet spencer three hundred and twenty one thousand five hundred dollars on a one dollar bet How if can you have, do that? And, and only four numbers not like the lottery i mean unbelievable and uh you know you got to take your hats off to them the next one obviously is very obviously it happened at t-mobile arena last night Kella canelo alvarez and mitri uh um Bevo, a Bevo, uh, I'll tell you what, just, just incredible, um, that, you know, granted Canelo went up, went up, um, went up a level to fight and he fought as a light heavyweight instead of the super middleweight where he's held the crown. It's the first time he lost since he lost to Floyd Mayweather, his only other actual real loss. And that was back in like 2012. I mean, it was a surprise. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Bival was already the light heavyweight champion. Canelo was fighting up a weight class. As I mentioned, he's, he is the undisputed super middleweight, but moving up to 175 added in just the second defeat of his career. As we mentioned, the loss also means the September 17th fight against the trilogy. As we all know, Golumkin, uh, that's off right now because Canelo says he's going to exercise the rematch clause to run it back against Bival and Bival sounded pretty excited at the prospect of hearing that. And, um, you know, Spencer, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, so, there are so many Canelo fans, especially here all over the world. And do you just, do you think it was the fact that Deval was t- taller? You could see six feet tall, had much better reach, but Canelo only only landed 84 punches. That is the least he's ever averaged, ever landed in a 12-round bout in his career. Um, was it the difference, the height and the reach advantage, or was the difference that maybe Canelo didn't take this fight as serious as he should have. Well, I, I think you can't understate the importance of weight classes. And because I've seen Canelo laugh when he's fighting people, regular weight range. So I think that it just changes everything. It's a whole different world. It is. And the last one I wanted to mention, I don't want to forget, 19-year-old Carlo, Carlos Alcarez uh, beat in the quarterfinals Rafael Nadal on Friday and then yesterday Novak Djokovic, he is the only player to ever beat both in the same clay court event. Uh, beat them both 19 years old today. He's in the championship match against the number two player in the world. Got to take your hats off to this guy. Aces play tonight in their first home game. And the Aviators, as I mentioned, they come back on Tuesday for a six-game set against the Salt Lake City Bees. I'm Brian Feldman. I want to thank Chris Madman Chapman back in studio. Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski for helping me out, as he always does with everything. And everyone for listening. Happy Mother's Day to you. We will see you again next week. Bye-bye.